0: Rain poured down on Copenhagen, blurring the contours of tile roofs and plastered facades. The sky sent cascades of unseasonably warm water straight onto the umbrellas and cobblestones of Old Market Square. Investigator Jep Corner squinted his eyes shut and decided to risk an upward glance. Not a single reassuring patch of clear sky on the horizon. Maybe the world really was dissolving. The oceans claiming back the last remaining land
1: masses. Well, now that they've mentioned it's raining once, I'm sure they'll never have to bring it up again.
0: Not in Copenhagen.
1: You're listening to the <laughs> Crime It Mode podcast.
0: <laughs> and, uh, surprise, we're doing something new
1: yeah we actually mentioned the title of this before without elaborating on what it was but we're doing a different thing that is still ultimately consuming a piece of media and making fun of it because i think that's
0: because we're not good people
1: we're bad people (laughs) and a lot of people put their heart and souls into making things and we don't do that and instead just tear those people down
0: judgy judgy
1: judgy 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 Uh, This is the inaugural episode of Mitt Mode Page-Turner Productions, which means that instead of watching a movie or a TV show, we read a book.
0: We we didn't read it all, like, recently? No. This has been an ongoing
1: book? (laughs) We started this book in September of 2022, and it is now March of 2023.
0: Ah, just how I like to read books.
1: Yep. Yeah, and uh, this is an interesting thing. I believe this is the first book that you and I have started together and read essentially back and forth to each other aloud. We've started that with a few books, and I think this is the first one we've ever actually finished.
0: Yes, we have two other ones that are meandering about.
1: Yeah, and you know what? At least one of those books, I would say, is probably better than this one, so... No. I I, I want to clear this. This book isn't bad... So much as it's just not amazing, I guess. Is that...
0: Well, I think it's also worth noting that it was translated.
1: Yes, exactly. So
0: that there are some things that are definitely poor translations. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's always tough to tell uh, the quality of a work after it's been translated and how much of it comes down to the original author and how much of it comes down to the... To the translator itself, or, like, miscommunications between cultures, too. And, uh, it was ultimately an enjoyable book. I suppose we should just get it out of the way. This book is called The Butterfly House, a novel, uh, by Katherine Engberg. And it is, oh, oh, it is, uh, episode two. It's the second book of the Corner and Werner book series. So we just started randomly a series on the second book. It is a police procedural story in the genre of Nordic noir.
0: And, uh, you know, I love mysteries. Mm. I love thrillers. Mm -hmm. But a big portion of loving that is having tiny little details that really, like, make you think.
1: Yeah, and, like, clever twists. And people... uh, A thing I really like in mysteries is when people figure out the mysteries. You know? Yes. When they use clues to piece things together and not just have coincidences unveil the entire thing. I also like it when there's... I I like mysteries... Not
0: pointing at the show you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it also when mysteries don't have uh, pointless side plots that have... Literally nothing to do with the main plot at all.
0: Haven't you always wanted to like? Haven't you always wanted to think about an old lady getting snuggling with a man and then
1: finding out he's a bum? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> haven't you always
0: wanted that in a thriller?
1: That was mystery. Worth, it was worth at least like a third of the book. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So the Butterfly House by Katherine Engberg. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a looser episode because, as I said, we have read this book over the course... This We've been reading this book longer than we've been doing a podcast by a significant amount. And we weren't taking notes when we were reading this book. We weren't really noting things down specifically. Um, but we did finish it a few nights ago. And we decided we should just podcast about it because what the hell.
0: Because uh, we don't want you to guys to get tired of... <laughs> watching media.
1: Yeah, and uh, we're not gonna do like scene by scene with this one because that would- the way this book is formatted would make describing that incredibly boring because most of the time it is characters going like, I'm going to interview this person. Okay, great. That interview has led me to interviewing this next person. All right, gotta go back and interview that person again <laughs> Like this.
0: Now, if you plan on reading The Butterfly House and you don't want it to be spoiled, I suggest you stop listening.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a... We're gonna just tell you everything. The uh, incredible twist of who the killer is. So, yeah, let's get uh, to it. So, I suppose we should just describe the premise. We should just describe the base premise of the book. There are murders happening in the fine city of Copenhagen.
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: Uh, Initially, someone is found. A woman is found floating face down in a fountain, completely naked... And upon inspection, they realize that this woman has been drained entirely of her blood.
0: This is, not to sound grim, one of my favorite moments in the book, I think. Because the paramedics on scene grab the lady that's flipped over in the water, pulls her to the side. They don't pull her out of the water. They just pull her to the side, try to resuscitate her, even though they've noted... She is most likely bled out. Anyway, they try to recess her. When it doesn't work, they turn her back over on her face and push her back into the fountain. Yeah. Because it is now a murder uh, scene.
1: Yeah, I actually just pulled up the specific quote and it's... Uh... The call came into emergency services from the convenience store on corner two mi- on the corner. Two minutes later, the first responders pulled her to the edge of the fountain and tried to resuscitate her per protocol. I don't know why the body hasn't been taken out of the water yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think there's another scene where they actually describe them to, like them actually pushing her back, in. it's it's kind of incredible.
0: Which. If you don't know, if you try to resuscitate someone, you actually have to pull them fully out of the water. But on the flip side mm-hmm. of that, if they've been flipped upside down for that long and they've been bled out, it the, is safe to say it is already a murder scene. Yeah, yeah. When
1: they <laughs> arrive, like, I think it's like five to ten minutes after the body is discovered. Uh, like, And it, by that point, if you've been floating face down in water for that amount of time you're dead. But she
0: was already floating like that when, when she was, she was found. first
1: found. Yeah. Like the, and mean, the
0: guy didn't run up and try to pull her out, too. He He just...
1: Yeah, he called someone. someone. He was, yeah, he didn't take the body out of the water. You're right. And it's like, it's, shouldn't your first instinct be like,
0: Oh my gosh! And like, pull him out? Like what,
1: you have three minutes before there's brain damage with that kind of thing, I believe, around that period of time without oxygen, right? Like, uh, Better run down to the street corner and call somebody about this.
0: Well, and the longer someone's... Been drowning for mm-hmm. the harder it would be to
1: Make bring them, them, not die. Yeah, yeah,
0: especially if they've died.
1: So, uh, but lucky for those, mur- the murdered person, uh, at this point, it's initially one person murdered. We have two more people get murdered in much the same way, just found in different fountains throughout the city of Copenhagen,
0: and they've been bled out.
1: All of them have been bled out. What a mystery. Uh, so we are introduced to the character of Jep Corner, the main character of this story. Uh, Jep Corner is a is a really, really good investigator, so we're told.
0: You know, as most media types have shown, to communicate what the character does, the people just say it.
1: Yeah, yeah, direct characterization is the only kind of characterization. Uh, he so, is
0: smart. Yeah. This is a sad man.
1: Jep, also a very coincidental thing that just kind of becomes important only near the end of the book is every once in a while, a character is like, oh, Jep and his famous hunches. And characters will say to themselves, like, yeah, I got to be like Jep right now. When he has a hunch, he just goes with it. And we only have that happen, like, once in the book. It it, it happens right at the end, and it's just like, oh, yeah, because if he didn't do that... Everyone would die. Um, let's see. Uh, he is going... He has... I believe he is He is actually, like, fully divorced from his wife now. He went through a divorce. And he is living with his mother. And my God, does he complain about that a lot.
0: He will, throughout the book, continuously acknowledge his mother phoning him by going, Ugh! She's phoning again.
1: I mean, on the flip side, his mother does try to phone him, it seems like, 30 times a day. Which is also incredibly strange.
0: Okay, but if he just answered. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or if he had, I don't know, a conversation with her about it.
0: Instead of just being severely annoyed.
1: Uh, Yeah, and Jep is, like, very cut from the cloth of, like, cynical, gruff, uh, like, hard life detective type guy. But like he's he doesn't come across as like jaded by a system that is unfair. He just kind of comes across as a whiny dude who's very very insecure.
0: We also find out his age at one point, which shocked us. I forget. I how think old he,
1: was he was shockingly younger than we expect. We were expecting him to be in his like fifties. I think based on like his uh, he dragged himself out of bed, his eyes cracked open, and he lit a cigarette. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's just—he's actually like on the younger side. Uh, so yeah, Jeff—that's our main character. He has also recently started a uh, secret relationship with Sarah Saidini, who is uh, another investigator in the police force in Copenhagen.
0: So they got to keep it on the down low.
1: Yeah, they got to keep it on the down low for re- reasons. Uh, he's her boss. He is her boss. You're right. He is her boss, which is kind of gross uh then there's annette Werner, who is the other protagonist of the series and she also does v- fairly little she does more than jeff i'd say in this book but still she doesn't really do that much detecting type stuff
0: so the best part of annette warner is that she is the only the de- like the only detective in the book <laughs> that it actually talks about doing detective work. Yeah,
1: they actually describe her doing detective thing and, like, piecing stuff together. And, and
0: like, actually traveling to the places. Whereas mm-hmm. Jep, the main character, doesn't... Tra- like, he just is at the spot and then yeah. he leaves. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and very often they'll start a scene with Jep, like, they had found out this thing, so he went there. And it's like, man, I really thought finding out stuff was going to be part of the-, the experience of reading this book. But Annette, uh, she is usually Jep's partner, but she's recently had a baby with a her baby. partner's friend. And she fucking hates her baby. She, she's
0: got postpartum hard.
1: Yeah, she has real severe postpartum depression, and she's bored as hell. Uh, she's tired, she's bored, uh, and it's straining her marriage with her husband because he loves the baby a lot. And like he feels like she's not taking good enough care. Uh, and she, what she does is she essentially gets involved in this investigation, even though she's not supposed to be, and starts investigating herself and sneaking away from her newborn baby and family to like go to dangerous places to interview people. More
0: dangerous than where Jep goes.
1: Yeah, more dangerous than where Jep goes. And what's it? She just pointlessly, uh, not pointlessly. She, uh, she's the one who kind of solves the mystery. But by solves the mystery, I mean she decides to go into a room. She
0: stumbles upon.
1: Yeah, and, and then the murderer happens to be in it. <laughs> the way this mystery is solved. But we're not there yet. We have, uh, I would say, the third main character. Not actually, that one's Esther. But the character I, that won my heart.
0: Ah, yes. Who
1: is Detective Falk?
0: Silly Falk.
1: Or as we said it, any time Detective Falk was mentioned in the book, fucking Falk. Yeah. Uh, Because there's a tendency I've noticed in books that I don't think are amazing to have one character who is just the focus of all, like, everyone's hatred for no reason,
0: just straight up verbal abuse on this poor character. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it, like to the point where the narrator of the book, the objective observer of this book, is like, "This guy is disgusting and horrible." And not like me; he's not like disgusting because he's like racist or mean to women. He's disgusting because, as described by the book, he's fat and old.
0: Yeah, and when it does describe moments, he does it. It describes it in the most pathetic way. Yeah, yeah he tried he does. to eat a muffin yeah. and it crumbled to pieces. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. This the universe. And then
0: it just talks about Jep like judging him yeah. for eating the muffin, yeah, for an example.
1: Extended sequences of Jep having to be in a room with Falc because he's his replacement partner while Annette's on. Uh, on maternity leave. And and it's just him stewing about the fact that Falk is existing in a chair across from him. He is so repulsed and hateful towards this man. Uh, I'm gonna I, I selected the text that is uh in Detective Falk's introduction. And it's Falk who stared down at the table in front of him as if something was expected of him that he wasn't able to do. He had just returned from a relatively long disability leave due to stress and did not seem entirely back in fighting form. Falk was an old-timer whose mustache competed with his eyebrows for the prize of bushiest and greyest. His pot belly was usually kept in check by a pair of colorful suspenders, and his general work tempo varied between moderate and snail's pace.
0: So his introduction is just, Falk sucks.
1: Falk <laughs> sucks so much. I,
0: also in the book, there's this, I, I don't know where exactly it is in it, but there's a scene, and this is where we found out Jep was actually younger, is when they kept referring to Falca as the, the older old fella. Yeah, the
1: old one <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, so once again, we're back to the mystery. They're finding bodies and fountains and as it turns out, all of these bodies have something in common in that they used to work at a place called the Butterfly House, which was a psychiatric care home for uh, for children mm, for...
0: say the name get a prize?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, they, I mean, they say that name a lot, The Butterfly House. We actually suggested retitling this book The Rain in Copenhagen, uh, and we'll get to that in a little
0: or bit. Or for a little flavor, Copenhagen Rain.
1: Copenhagen Rain. Oh, I like that. Uh, can, can it have the subtitle, um, A Wet City? No. Copenhagen Rain, A Wet City. No,
0: Copenhagen Rain, and then in brackets still raining.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. It's a teensy bit further down the character list, so I'm just introducing this because I'm going to introduce one of the kids from what?
0: I thought you meant that you gave the rain its own character.
1: <laughs> well, don't get too ahead of yourse- ourselves. Um, well, I guess we're doing that now. So, uh, one of the characters I put into this book is the rain. <laughs> Uh, Because, (laughs) yes, at looking at it, rain, the word itself, appears 93 times in this book. 93, only 93 times. That's only the word? That doesn't, we're not counting every single time anything relating to the rain is mentioned. So we're not counting umbrellas. We're not counting, like plastic jackets. We're not counting. We're not
0: counting. It's very wet on the ground. Yeah, wet
1: wet is another way they would describe it. We're just simply counting times that someone or that the narrator says the word rain. And it is, the rain is mentioned. It's, I don't think there's a chapter in this book that passes without someone going, oh, gee, it's raining a lot right now.
0: We got really excited in one chapter because it was almost to the end of the chapter and it hadn't mentioned it. Mm-hmm. And then someone's like, someone's leaving a shop or something <laughs> and they just go, huh, it's really coming down out there. Yeah. As they go out and we were like, dang it.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, we, uh, the joke developed between us is mentioning, did you know that it's raining?
0: <laughs> Anytime. It's yeah. raining. What? Are, are you serious? It's so it, still raining. It
1: pretty much rains the entire book until the very end when the mystery is solved. Which, by the way, what a goddamn cliche to be like. God, so grim and rainy. Oh, we solved the mystery. Wow, one of our three sunny days.
0: Oh yeah. They do.
1: Th- yeah, they do that. They do that cliche, which is also like I think the sun is mentioned. In specific reference to it, that it's it's that it's not raining, not that it is sunny. They're like, "Wow, look at this lack of rain."
0: It's a bright out today yeah. and less soggy.
1: So we introduced um, the rain, and now I'm going to just talk about the two of the kids, two of the main kids who actually go to uh, who were attendants of the butterfly house. The butterfly house is now shut down. Uh, so first we have Marie. She had uh, what seemed like obsessive-compulsive disorder, uh, but she's now reached the point where she's an adult and she's no longer in the child care system. And uh, she actually just totally detoxed from her meds and it's going great for her. And she's kind of living in like underground spaces. She goes to a place called Fredenshaven, which is like, it seems like a boat city in the middle of Copenhagen where there aren't any laws. Uh, And that place actually exists, by the way. Which is fun.
0: Yeah, I actually don't know much about Copenhagen.
1: Yeah, and then uh, there's uh, there's I, I, while well, looking it up, I found there's actually an even bigger like district of the city that just hasn't had like laws for for decades now, and it's I think it's like uh, fuck, I can't remember now. It's uh it's but it's one of the biggest tourist attractions for the city. Um, so yeah, she's kind of out doing her own thing. She's she's up to mysterious things the whole time, and the main characters have difficulty getting a hold of her. Uh, and then she actually helps break out of his psychiatric care facility at one point, her friend Isaac, who also attended the Butterfly House. Uh, but Isaac is schizophrenic and, like, heavily schizophrenic. Uh, and to the point where basically everyone says that he's a hopeless case. He just has to live in psychiatric care and be medicated, and that's all anyone can think to do with him. Like, there's a sequence where they describe that he vomited up his meds once, and, uh when he didn't have his meds in his system, he escaped into the grounds and beheaded four birds. I think that kind of... Uh, Isaac is... I mean, intentionally, I'd say Isaac is the most, like, tragic character in the book, basically. Like, he is... The only character I actually feel, like, got close to a, ev- evoking any real emotion was there's a sequence with Isaac where he's just cognizant of the fact that he's basically put in storage his entire life.
0: Yeah, it's kind of sad, actually. Yeah, yeah,
1: Isaac is, like, clearly this is a book, it's focused around healthcare and the treatment of children in psychiatry specifically. And Isaac is the one where they actually... Yeah, I think Isaac makes the best point in the book, which is... And it's also, I admire the book not having the... Not giving us a definitive answer, because there clearly isn't one. But what do you do when there's a person who isn't, like who just has such a severe condition that that it's not safe for them or other people for them to kind of, like, be wander- wandering around. Like, what do you do about that? <laughs> and, like, once again, it, it doesn't come really hard on one side or the other. Uh, there's Marie tries to free Isaac, and she realizes that she isn't capable of taking care of him. Because when he's detoxing from his meds, he starts having severe schizophrenic hallucinations and like starts losing control of his impulses and she basically has to return him to the police because she's so worried about him and and herself uh yeah so isaac is a tragic character he's being watched by a guy named simon hartvig who's given a lot of attention by the book when he's mainly just described doing very boring things taking care of children in a psychiatric care wing
0: and protecting simon you mean isaac That's what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Restart. And protecting Isaac.
1: Yeah, yeah. He takes care of Isaac, and he seems really focused on taking care of Isaac as well. Um, Okay. Uh, So then we have... Who should I mention next? Uh, The Ramsgards are a family that's really important in the book. They are the parents... Uh, Bo Ramsgard is the father, and I can't remember his wife's name. She's not in the book as much. Uh, they're the parents of a daughter who attended the Butterfly House. She had an eating disorder, and ultimately she killed herself. And they're trying to sue the people who ran the Butterfly House, and people suspect Bo, the father, of committing all these murders.
0: Yeah, and that's a a long-running theory in the book.
1: Yeah, even to the point where it's like, well, we have no evidence that he did it. Time to go arrest him. And they arrest him in front of his child. We should introduce who I think is the third protagonist of this book and the most frustrating character to me. Esther de Laurenti. Uh, She exists to randomly encounter the other characters in this story.
0: Remember how we talked about an old lady getting it on? Mm -hmm. This is that old lady.
1: Yeah, so Esther's basically (laughs) scenes where she interacts coincidentally with other characters who are involved in this case, but contributes nothing and finds out nothing about the case itself. There's a psychiatrist in this book that she goes to, and it's not important that she does. It doesn't contribute anything. She meets uh, a nurse as well, who used to work at the Butterfly House, and she... Yeah, she just randomly encounters the characters of this book. As it turns out, she is a character from the first book in this series. uh, And she's actually involved in the mystery in that one. And apparently this elderly woman befriends Jep Corner, this, like, rugged, young kind of detective guy, and they just talk to each other on the phone all the time, apparently.
0: So, you're telling me in the first book she has a purpose.
1: Yeah, no, she's...
0: And then they thought, let's bring her to the second one, but have no purpose, and just have her phone up Jep, and have Jep ask if she's okay, Yeah, and, and like, then go comfort about her. his day.
1: And then, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a character who is even funnier that Jep is, like, asking about the good, the uh, the wellness of as well, and we'll get to him. But apparently, in the first book, spoiler alert for the first book as well, Esther de Laurenti is, like, writing a book. She talks about writing a book constantly, and the murder in the first book of a person she knows resembles what she's written in the book. So she's a suspect in the case. Oh. Uh, but in this one, she does nothing. What do? You, how, how would you describe her arc? What are we... We're talking about an old lady
0: getting uh, it on. She. What? The funny... Okay, so the funny thing about her character is at no point does she talk about the murders
1: no not barely like she does very briefly not very much but
0: she doesn't i think she asks Jep, how's it going with yeah the kids. how are
1: the murders going Jep?
0: but she never does like curiosity things you know she doesn't look into it no she do- her character is just hanging out at home
1: yeah no that's that's her whole thing she hangs out at home is she with... the
0: one with dogs
1: yeah she has dogs Oh, Uh, the dogs
0: aren't mentioned that much.
1: mm, They're there when
0: it's convenient to say they're there.
1: Yeah. Uh, So she has dogs, and she has a live-in, like, roommate who's this old cranky man named Gregors, who's Uh, definitely supposed to be the comic relief uh i think uh
0: but he's like half dead yeah he's, he's half it. dead
1: uh gregors is also from the first book and that's the character who Jepp is like how's gregors doing and it just sounds so funny to have someone say like and how's old gregors anyways uh gregors yeah has a heart attack midway through the book and then spends a lot of time in the hospital there's actually a introduction uh jumping to the end of the story where we have a nurse uh taking poison and injecting it into an old man in the hospital and the Oh point... no
0: not Gregor's yeah. And the
1: point of tension is we're supposed to think that she is murdering Gregors and uh, we get we'll get to that later. Uh, so yeah Esther, her arc is that there's a man she meets downstairs who quickly woos her with his Frenchness. And very French. And then uh like comes upstairs and she ends up sleeping with him and then immediately he just is like, can I have, like, $500? And she's like, okay. And then later comes home to find he robbed her house. And then she's upset about that. And she wants to, like, hunt this man down. She finds out he works in a burger joint. Ultimately, she just sees him at some point, And she's about to go confront him. And then she realizes that he is, like, dumpster diving.
0: He's a homeless guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she weirdly feels happy about knowing that.
1: Yeah. And that is all she does in this book.
0: (laughs) At one point, she does phone Jep to ask what to do about the scam (laughs) she has just been involved with.
1: A man slept with me, and I gave him money.
0: And Jep says, go online and fill out
1: the (laughs) proper things. This is like at the point when Jep's life is falling apart around him, and he's like, I don't care. (laughs) Uh,
0: I think he says, are you all right? And she says, yeah. And then he goes, okay, then just go online.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that's her entire contribution to the book. She does very, very little for the actual, like, story. Uh, Then we have, yeah, Gregor's, uh, and he only exists so that we think uh, Trine, who is another woman who worked at the Butterfly House and has uh, borderline personality disorder and likes murdering patients... He exists for us to think, oh, God, he's going to get murdered by her. And then it just turns out it was the dude in the room with him that she murders. And that's just like, oh, that guy's dead. Phew! (laughs) Oh, yeah, and that's Trine's thing. She's murdering people, and you're supposed to be like, maybe she's the killer, because she also kills the killer (laughs) uh but yeah she's just an unrelated series of murders
0: we also the book throws that in near the end for absolutely zero reason i also
1: think it's weird it's weird for a book that's like really really trying to drill home that most murders are not committed by people with mental illnesses to then be like yeah but this like (laughs) This incredibly effective serial killer has borderline personality disorder. Like, I don't know, it's a bit having your cake and eating it too, isn't it? To have, like, the psycho killer and also be like, but psycho killers don't really exist.
0: For, yeah, this book does the most... I don't want to say interesting, and I don't want to say annoying, but it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Where it solves the murder, then for, like, four chapters after... It just keeps going. Yeah, it
1: doesn't stop.
0: And uh, it just goes, and there was this murder. Yeah. Oh, and this is what happened yeah. here. And this blackmail happened. And just for note, like, we didn't talk about it throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we're here talking about all the things.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, okay, and I think I only have, like, one more character to bring. Uh, two more characters. We have Peter DeMant, who was the psychiatrist who was a driving force behind the butterfly house.
0: Top suspect because he has <laughs> butterflies pinned to his walls.
1: Yeah, uh, and he talks like a villain, and he just... He just, overall, he's just the guy in the story who has such strong, this guy's doing it vibes. That
0: also, he... Isn't he the one that was kind of he was kind of using the kids as like experiments
1: yeah yeah we find out the big reveal at the end is that he literally was doing like dangerous doses of medication as an experiment to see its effectiveness on the children which is possibly why isaac gets into such a bad state and why uh pernile romsgard the Ramsgard's daughter commits suicide Uh, And yeah, and possibly, probably like the driving force and someone trying to get revenge on them as well. Uh, Okay, Uh, we have (laughs) a character I think is hilarious uh, because of how she's described. Monica Kurtzkoff. uh, And she is a woman who just shows up every once in a while to uh, be like, Oh, so the thing that they were murdered with is uh, called a scarificator. And I know that because I'm an expert in medical history. Let me talk about medical history for a while. And then uh, also to just hit on Jep relentlessly. Yeah. Uh, like to, and just in a very like, in a way where Jep is just, it's weird that a woman wrote this book.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say that. Yeah, go for it. Um, a woman, it's weird a woman wrote this book for how sexualized women are. By mm-hmm. Jep.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, like, by the book itself, sometimes when Jep isn't even around, like... No,
0: it's just, like...
1: It's very, uh, are you familiar? I think it was a meme, the men writing women, she breasted boobily into the room.
0: I'm actually
1: not. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a joke that's been going around. But it, it's very much she breasted boobily writing. Like, with, especially with Monica Kurtzkov. And you want to read this, uh, piece of text I decided to take out of the book? Where's it? It's uh where the mouse is.
0: <laughs> she sat down next to him, and he picked up the scent of lilacs and wrinkled bed sheets.
1: What do wrinkled <laughs> <laughs> what do wrinkled bed sheets smell like?
0: I I don't know if that's saying like uh, the sex thing. It no. <laughs> definitely is, but
1: it's weird to me. Like, she smelled like sex.
0: <laughs> but saying it by wrinkled bed sheets.
1: Yeah. Uh, now I'm just gonna. Look. Or is
0: it sheets that were in the dryer so long that they're wrinkled now? Because <laughs> <laughs> those can smell quite dryery, dryery, dryery. I don't know what I'm saying anymore.
1: Yeah. Ah, here we go. She leaned back, supporting herself on her hands, breasts pushing against the fabric of her shirt. Jep scooted away ever so slightly. Just like, and this is just in a conversation where she's where talking.
0: You, what else do the breasts push against if <laughs> not her shirt?
1: I just, she's talking about a device that drains people's blood, and she's just like posing as she does <laughs> it. Like, hey, hey, Jet. Um
0: And he can't do anything because he's got a secret girlfriend.
1: Yeah, he has a secret girlfriend. And at one point, Jep, just to establish that Jep is a really shitty guy, he's like, She's not even mad that I'm talking to Monica Kurtzkoff. Like, that's how upset she must be with me. She's not even worried I'm going to cheat on her. And it's like, you're... That's a weird way to think, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You want her to be like, don't talk to that woman involved in this investigation.
0: She doesn't even bring it up. It's like she's got other things on her mind besides (laughs) things that shouldn't be on her mind.
1: (laughs) And then he's like, I I uh I assigned her to work with Larson. And Larson... God, what if she sleeps with Larson? He's a very, very insecure man. And that's... Uh, Larson is a character who just exists to be like, Jep, you're gonna be off the case and Larson will be in charge in a day. And then him being like, Is my girlfriend gonna leave me for Larson? So just a dude that he worries about stealing everything he has in his life. Okay, I wish there was a scene where Larson met his mom and he was... And she was like, Oh, you're such a good boy. <laughs>
0: At least you answer my calls, Larson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Larson is calling his mom all the time. Uh, And then Tanya Cruz is just a character who I think is fun to bring up. Because she, she worked at Butterfly House. They interview her, yada, yada, yada. But her fun thing is that she makes anatomically correct dolls of children that have died so parents can have dolls of their dead children. And she pushes one around in, in, a, in a carriage and then just constantly is saying to people like, I know it's a doll.
0: <laughs> oh, she has... I think it's, um... What's her face? Ah. Annette. Annette Warner. When she's... Annette Warner is talking to her. And she's staring at the doll. Yes. Um... Yeah, they're the, needing a
1: park, and they're both, like, Annette has her baby, and Tanya's just like, yeah, I got this doll in a carriage. She
0: says, let's go for a walk, and she starts pushing it, and then stares at and then goes, I know it's a doll.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Being really defensive about this. Um, so, yeah, so that's just some of the, there are more characters, but, like, I don't think they are, there's like the husbands of, uh, partners of people who get killed and stuff. Oh, there's a social worker named Kim who is important because he worked at the Butterfly House before it closed. And he actually, uh, advocated for the children. And it, he drowned before the kids started dying off. And there's a question of whether or not he was also murdered several years ago.
0: Yeah. That also gets brought up at the end of the book.
1: Yeah, yeah, that gets resolved as, as well. As
0: blackmail. Yeah.
1: Uh, so... So we have this mystery set up. We have the mystery of who killed Kim, who's putting these dead bodies in fountains. Uh, Jep. Yeah, they just go and interview people. Uh, and Annette manages to hunt down Maria. Maria ends up trusting Annette and uh, letting Isaac return to police custody. Uh, specifically to talk to Annette, because that's the only person Marie likes. They actually interview Isaac, the schizophrenic child. Uh, and Off
0: record. Like,
1: yeah, yeah, in a in a horrifying way that they're justifying to themselves. Jep is like, yeah, so like usually you're supposed to have a social worker in the room, and you're supposed to have a psychiatric expert, and uh, I'm not supposed to interview him alone. All of these things, but uh, we're just taking him to a lunch table, and like, so did you do it, Isaac?
0: And then when he has a moment of panic. They pin him down or something? Yeah, yeah,
1: they have to pin him down and they have to restrain him with multiple people. Because they were not doing it, though. And they were like, "God, oh, this is going to look so bad. It's like, yeah, of course it looks bad. It is bad. What you're
0: doing is illegal.
1: What if we poke him a bit? <laughs> like, Let's just see what he does. Uh, okay, and what ends up happening is they all end up going to the hospital at the same time. Annette's almost ruined her marriage. She goes to the hospital to interview someone's girlfriend, who it turns out they don't need to talk to at all. Annette goes, okay, this is such a dumb sequence of events. So at the climax of this book, Annette goes to the hospital, and she is like, I need to find this person. And the people working there go, oh, they're on break. Do you want to wait 15 minutes? And she's like, I actually have to go home. And then she goes outside and it starts raining really heavily. And she's like, oh, God, this rain. And she just goes and stumbles into a random basement room. (laughs) Like, she just wants to get out of the rain. And then she's like, wow, this basement's weird. There's like, there's a lot of stuff down here. There's equipment. Is that a scarificator? This seems like the place people would be murdered.
0: And then someone walks in. We Mm. don't know who. Yeah. For the next
1: multiple like, chapters. Three to
0: four five chapters. They, they are
1: talking with the killer directly and they know who it is. And they're like having back and forth conversation that at no point references their actual identity. And that's just very funny. <laughs> it's like no one is ever like, it's you. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out it's Simon, who if you don't remember, it's because he t- doesn't do shit. In, he, just, he is the social worker taking care of Isaac. Yeah,
0: we don't actually find out it's Simon either till Jep and Falk get there.
1: Yeah, so Jep and Falk are returning Isaac to the psychiatric care wing, and they find out that Annette had been there. And then uh they're like, "Oh, look for her car's on the w- car on the way out." And they're like, "Okay, we don't see it," and they're driving away. And then Jep gets a hunch
0: he thinks we got to go back
1: and then he does and he goes back and of course if he doesn't Annette would die uh flashing back to Annette
0: <laughs> we, uh Simon literally just tells Annette to get on the table
1: yeah and she does
0: she she she's across the room from him the door isn't locked she just came through yeah yeah
1: she yeah he's in he, the room when she comes in he's not blocking the doorway
0: he's not pointing at
1: he, he has a knife. He
0: has a knife. He has a knife. He's on the other side of the room, and he yeah. has a knife, and she just walked in. Yeah. At no point does she think, I'm just going to go back what, through the door what, I just came What if
1: instead of that, I leave? And he's like, no, get on this table, and I'll strap you to it. Uh, and so she does. And she does. And then he uses the scarificator, and she starts bleeding out, and he leaves her in the dark. And at this point in the book, Annette is like, oh my god, I love my baby!
0: Because you know what cures... Postpartum depression.
1: Murder attempts. Murder. Murder. <laughs> getting, almost getting murdered. Uh, so yeah, she's bleeding out on a table. There's now a ticking clock. Jepp and Falk burst into the room. <laughs> Start trying to help Annette, trying to get her free. And then Simon comes back with a knife. <laughs> uh, they don't have their guns. They had to leave. They forgot their guns in the car because they, have they their sucked. They have their they do have their phones, uh, and it's Jep and Falk, and and the guy, one guy with a knife talking to two cops is like, all right, both of you, opposite sides of the room, and they do it. Put down your phones
0: and slide them over.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they give him their phones, and it's just like, you, like, okay, Falk is overweight, and out, it, Falk could just fall on him, and that would immobilize him. Like, they, I get it. I understand what she's doing in that human psychology doesn't work in the most logical way when presented with danger. But aren't these fucking cops? Like, aren't they specifically trained to be in situations like this?
0: Not all of them... That training doesn't always go through.
1: No, it doesn't always but go through. Yeah. it
0: goes to another level where then he tells them to climb into a...
1: He opens a hole in the ground, like this tile.
0: And tells them both to get in, but they're on opposite sides of the room. Yeah. And then he's like, come back together and crawl in there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, get Both of you get in this thing and then I'll close it and both of you will suffocate inside of this hole in the thing. Uh, okay, this I think this passage of text is worth reading. I just need to find it. Jep caught... Okay, so Jep has already gotten in the hole. And he's like, we're going to suffocate in this hole. And then the guy is gesturing like, okay, Falk, get over here. And then uh, it goes, Jep caught Falk's eye. The old detective was fighting the effects of gravity and its year of wear, years of wear and tear on his knees and back. His body was tired, his hunger for results not what it had once been. Those multicolored suspender straps simultaneously held him up and reduced him to one of those jokes he enjoyed telling. They're about to die, and he still can't stop ripping on Falk. Uh, but he was still in there. Falk was. The young cop he had once been. The bulldozer of an investigator. The man with enough fighting, spirit, stubbornness, and courage for a whole city. He was in there. In one alert, crystal clear instant, Jep saw him. That was all he needed. He clenched his hand around a fistful of cement powder and tensed his abdominal muscles. Now! Falk lunged to the side, nimble as a volleyball player. <laughs> Jep raised his arms and in one smooth motion flung the cement dust at Simon's eyes. Simon covered his face with his hands and screamed in surprised outrage. The cleaver hit the floor. Uh, okay, and then Jep gets up. The guy starts strangling him. Uh, Strangulation is a terrible way to die. That sentence ran through Jep's head. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, So he's getting choked to death. And then Falk knocks out Simon in the last moment uh, before Jep dies of strangulation. And Falk is the hero of the day slash the only character who actually really did all that much.
0: I also just love that Jep... Basically hates on him the whole book and then yeah. goes, I don't like this man, but I know he's worth something.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, I don't think that makes up for the, like, sheer amount of fat phobia and ageism that this, this book no. <laughs> trades in. Uh, the one sentence that is behind him, Detective Falk stood broad like a giant and just as powerful. <laughs> Like, that one sentence doesn't make up for the copious hatred this book has for him. Uh, so yeah, that's how they solve the mystery. Uh, are there any... Oh, uh, Esther, yeah, we talked about her arc. Gregor's uh, is in the hospital, and uh, someone in his room gets murdered, and then that woman gets caught. But Gregor's had nothing to really do with it. He's just Not sad. Not
0: before Esther has a scare.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Esther shows up at the hospital to visit Gregor's. And what happens? What what do they do?
0: They, she says, she's going to this room number. And mm-hmm. they say, I'm sorry for, and she's like, sorry for what? And they're like, oh, no one's told you. And then it says something about the nurse, like, not, like, dreading having to be the one to tell her. Yeah, that a yeah, the
1: inconvenience of it or something. She's yeah. like, this isn't fair. And she
0: tells. Her...
1: That, that her he's, she doesn't say, Gregors is dead. She says, he died and was possibly murdered.
0: And then she has a whole breakdown. And then I think says his name, Gregors or something.
1: Yeah, and then she's like, who's the Gregors? N- the
0: nurse just says, who's Gregors? then he goes, oh no, he's fine. <laughs> he's, he's fine. He's
1: a bit scared. Uh yeah, that that that's that's her whole thing.
0: Also they kept didn't they keep Gregor's in the room where his roommate was moving? I think
1: they moved him. I think they did okay. move rooms. Um uh, Okay, uh Jepp has a conversation with his mother.
0: Oh yeah, so after the murder is all solved, you know, the whole point of the book we really need to... Uh, some type of conclusion, some type of coming together with, uh, Jeff's mom. it's mm-hmm. That's very important.
1: And, uh, Jeff is like, please stop calling me. I'm an adult. And his mom is like, I'm lonely. <laughs> and he's like, I've never considered that as an option before. Yeah. Jeff uh, is
0: a stand-up man.
1: And then he, uh... Oh, he had never spent the night with Sidini before. He would just show up at her house after her kids went to bed, have sex with her, and then leave. But after he's almost murdered... Uh, he, you know, he gets to stay the night with his girlfriend (laughs) and what a prize. And, uh, and then he comes home and that's when he talks with his mom. Cause his mom is like, you were out all night. And then he talks about his relationship with his mother and her mother has the beautiful statement that I think we've all heard before. Hmm? His mother. His mother. Sorry. Uh, Jep is like, she's the one mom. And the mom says, oh, that one. Yeah.
0: So what are you waiting for? She asked, dishcloth in hand. It is with love as it is with fish, Jep. You can't just buy the fillets. <laughs> you have to take the whole carcass.
1: As we all know!
0: Yes, because Jep fishes? Mm-hmm. Or he likes to buy fish from the market?
1: I guess. It doesn't... It, it makes... It... it it's a confusing thing.
0: I think it's supposed to be a manly thing.
1: Yeah, oh, fish. yeah you he's know, you, fish. You know fish. You know how
0: fish work. Fish work like women. W-
1: women are fish. You have to take the carcass. Wait a second. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, then Jep uh, goes out the, literally the day before. He less than twenty four hours ago, he was about to be murdered. His uh, friend, Annette Verner, was about to be murdered. She she actually she recovers. was and, very
0: close to being murdered. Yeah.
1: She recovers and speaks with her husband, and they make up, too. And she's like, I have to be a mom. He's like, yes, you do. Uh, so then, literally less than 24 hours after this, he just goes to the park to, to like, a, a fair, I think, with, with Sarah and her children. And is introduced to the children. Um... And he just buys them a shit ton of candy. What's up? Uh, no god. Oh, okay. I was.
0: The balloon.
1: Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way he tries to win over her, her two daughters is, um, we've never met before. I'm Jep. The two girls peered nervously up at him with their mother's brown eyes, and I have a bit of a problem. I won two balloons from that balloon guy over there, but I have no idea what to do with them. Do you two happen to know anyone who likes balloons? Me, me!
0: The funniest thing is, this is not his personality.
1: No, no, he's totally, like, he is the smoking, grizzled detective. And he's just like, I have balloons!
0: Also, by saying he won two balloons, you kind of suspect, oh, he has the two balloons. No,
1: no, and then he goes and buys them.
0: Yeah, no, he (laughs) has to go get them. He's not holding the balloons. He just mentions balloons and then walks them over to the stand.
1: Yeah, (laughs) and then he just buys them a shit ton of candy. Uh, And I just like that the book itself acknowledges... The the, the the weirdness of this scene being at the end of the book, where Jep found himself in one of those parallel dimensions that occasionally opens up when reality becomes too surreal. Seventeen hours earlier, he was being buried alive in a hole in the ground with Falk, while Annette bled to death across the room. Now he was roaming through Tivoli, holding balloons for two children he didn't know while looking for a chance to kiss their mother what a difference a day makes
0: because you know what i really want to do after almost being murdered and almost losing my like
1: partner (laughs) want to hang out with kids
0: i want to meet my girlfriend's kids that she has been hiding from me
1: now now just before you meet my boyfriend don't don't make any sudden movements or yell because he is in the throes of PTSD right now. He was almost murdered yesterday.
0: He might drop Kiki by accident if you <laughs> sneak up behind him.
1: Valk, <laughs> <Foul>, get them! <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's insanity. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, is there anything. Funny we're missing out on. Uh, Annette's dealt with... Oh, Marie Marie confronts Peter DeMent, the psychiatrist who was experimenting on them. And as it turns out this entire time, she's been hacking him. And this has been another plot going on. And she found out specifically that Peter DeMent murdered Kim, the social worker. And all of that uh, has been put out into the open.
0: And he was experimenting on the kids. Yeah.
1: So every shitty thing Peter DeMent has done is now public knowledge, and that's that's the, like, justice she's gotten for herself, Isaac, and Pernille Ramsgard. Uh, I think that's all of the plot lines wrapped up. Uh, now, what do we have? Uh, we have a game. If you want, we can just flip until we find sentences we think are funny. Like, are there any sentences?
0: Uh, no, we can just go right to here. Your...
1: Okay, great. Uh, well, I've actually designed, as you love, a bit of a game.
0: I love games.
1: Yeah, you love games. And uh, this game I've decided to call Fake or Falk. Because Falk gets a lot of descriptions in this book. Mm-hmm. A lot. He is described more than probably any other character, no matter how sexy and women-like they are. God, the fucking book in women. Uh, now what I've done is trying to see if I can live up to Catherine Engberg's writing.
0: Right. Uh,
1: and I've written my own descriptions of Falk. To put into the book, and you're going to see whether these are books from the book, or whether these are lines from the book, The Butterfly House, or whether I made these hateful statements about Falc up myself.
0: So, I have a terrible memory. Yeah. So, you might get me. Might I might. get me with these yeah. ones.
1: Uh, and I'll just tell you after each one, unless you prefer them all at the end. I won't be able to remember you
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, we'll kay. just go for it.
1: Faker Falc 1. Detective Falk stood in the doorway, his eyes wide, his gut protruding between his purple suspenders, his shock so overpowering he momentarily forgot the cheese Danish clutched in his hand.
0: I think that was you.
1: Damn it. Yeah, that was me.
0: I I only guessed that because purple suspenders wasn't a thing he wore.
1: Yeah, that's actually from John Paul Sartre's Nausea. Um, (laughs) uh, Okay, purple. uh, There is a sequence where he is disgustingly eating a Danish. Yes, I
0: remember that, but he has (laughs) colorful suspenders.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next to Jep, Detective Falk pulled a white scrub cap over his gray hair, which made him look more than ever like a cartoon teddy bear. That's Falk. That's Falk. That is yeah, totally Falk.
0: Yeah. I, I vaguely remember something about Teddy Bear.
1: <laughs> An investigator didn't need to resemble a triathlete, but it's a plus to be able to get up from the furniture while interviewing witnesses and next of kin. Fake. No, nope, that's Falk. Oh, ah, <laughs> This is when he is struggling to get off a sofa.
0: Oh, for Falk. This
1: book, I can't emphasize enough. The there, You're going to hear a lot of quotes still. This is an entire page of quotes about Falk, and it's not even, like, half of them. Okay. Falk shifted in his chair, which groaned in protest.
0: That one's Falk.
1: That one's me.
0: Oh, good job. Yeah, yeah. I
1: stole that from the stairs, betraying someone in another book. Uh, okay. Okay. Falk was sitting at the table with a cup of coffee and his notepad, looking like someone who wasn't working. That's Falk. Yeah, that's Falk. Falk shook his head slightly, stingy with his bodily motions, right down to the tips of his fingers.
0: Can you read that one again, sorry?
1: Falk shook his head slightly, stingy with his bodily motions, right down to the tips of his fingers. Fake. Nope, that's Falk.
0: I kind of thought it was Falk, but I also said fake. It's just so specific.
1: It it, it really is. I
0: don't remember that.
1: Fumbling with the seatbelt, Falk groaned. You go on ahead. I'll be right behind you.
0: Is that Falk? No,
1: that's me. <laughs> but like, you really, they're kind of indistinguishable, aren't they? Well, there's
0: something that happened with him trying to get out of a car at some point. Well, a-
1: anytime he gets in a car, it's described how like he is squeezing behind the steering wheel. Because this book hates him. <laughs> um, oh, wait, here we go. Falk's big belly was pushing against the steering wheel and made the car seem undersized compared to its driver. Falk. That's Falk. Yeah, uh, Simon knew that if he could subdue Jep, then Falk would offer no challenge. That's Falk. No, that's me. But there is a statement I found out later on is basically that, which is something like Falk would be too old and fat to fight back. Something. No, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a
0: that's half. I half. I did.
1: Yeah, that's a half. I did steal that one. That's half marks. Yeah. Uh, okay. Falk floored it, not realizing the car was still in neutral. Disoriented, he looked down the right side of his paunch towards the shift, and in doing so, the car veered into the oncoming lane, then it stalled.
0: Okay, listeners, what do you think? Fake or Falk? I'm gonna give you two seconds. It's Falk.
1: It's Falk. That's in the book! That's in the fucking book! This man is, like, just, he's such a walking disaster. And Jeff is in the seat while Falk does that. Just thinking to himself, fucking Falk.
0: Freaking Falk.
1: (laughs) If Falk drove any slower, the body would have fully decomposed by the time they got to the crime scene.
0: Is that when they're getting to the first body? Is that Falk? Or is that you? What do you think? I'm going to say it's fake.
1: It's fake. Yeah. Uh, uh okay, this is a this is a dialogue uh branch that goes back and forth. Uh and this is my Falk, vo- Falk voice. <laughs> and then uh this is my Jet voice. Oh yes. Uh, I think we can park here. He works at the conveyor belt. You mean security? Yeah, the conveyor belt. That's fake. No, that's real. That's no the way! Yeah! I don't remember that! <laughs> Falk must be dumb, fat, old, lazy. He's all of the bad things, except the one time he moves like a volleyball player. Uh, Do you think he's run off? Falk asked, crumpling up the bakery bag. He still had icing in his mustache. That's Falk. That's Falk. Falk discreetly loosened the button at the top of his pants. Jep pretended he didn't notice. Falk. Falk. (laughs) I think I'm in love. Falk's intrusive statement irritated Jep before the grotesque notion of Falk and Sidini in an embrace crept into his mind.
0: Is that fake?
1: I don't know, is it?
0: It's fake. It's
1: fake, yeah. <laughs> I was
0: like, I don't remember that.
1: <laughs> the one thing we don't have is Jeff disgustingly imagining Falk sleeping with yeah, his girlfriend. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> no, he worries about Larson doing that, though. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Kim was a strong swimmer. I don't believe he could have drowned on his own that night. Excuse me for a moment. May I use your bathroom? Falk asked, beads of sweat on his forehead. Fake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that. You could that.
1: see that happening in the book, though, couldn't you? Yes. <laughs> I think there's a scene where they're in a conversation and Falk's cell phone keeps ringing and Jep is like, FALK! Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Jep hadn't exactly planned how he would exit this world, but buried alive next to Detective Falk was definitely not on the list of tolerable ways to die. That's Falk. That's Falk. That's real. So yeah, that's uh, just a sequence of utter cruelty and mean-spiritedness put towards this man who is, by the way, like, never mean to anybody. Yeah. Falk never has anything bad to say about people. He's just, he's very nice and, like, just kind of doddering, I guess.
0: If you ever want, this is is, uh, how I kind of grade books on if I'm gonna think they're good or not mm. is if there's one character that for some reason it's just a normal guy but gets explained as a really gross guy throughout mm. it it's probably a bad book
1: there there's a character in parks and Recre- recreation that is this trope where he's a very pleasant man named Uh, Jerry or Gary, I can't... I think it goes back and forth. And every character... I mean, they're playing it for comic effect that everyone just hates this man for no reason. And he'll just come into a room and say something nice and they'll be like, Shut up, Gary! And then make him leave and make him do embarrassing stuff. But he's still just a sweet, good-natured guy.
0: See, and sometimes that can be funny. Yeah, it's... But specifically in books when they're just...
1: But it's not like... This isn't that case because they're not drawing attention to the fact that it's funny that they would hate someone for no reason. No, it's just hate. It is it's like the the narrator is in on it. The narrator is like Falk was a pathetic piece of shit who should probably just die. <laughs> um all right, do we have anything else we want to say about this book?
0: Uh yes, to wrap up talking about the book before we close, mm-hmm. I just wanted to read The last sentence of chapter 25, because I think it wraps up Mm. this podcast very well. Then she went back into the rain.
1: (laughs) And I suppose it's time for us to go back into the rain too. Get your rain jacket on. Talk about the rain some.
0: Actually, Mm? I lost my rain jacket for a long time and I had to go away for work. So Rybert let me use his rain jacket. I am shorter than Rybert you smaller than. you smaller
1: in a lot of ways.
0: <laughs> um, I disappeared into the rain jacket. Yeah, it was hilarious. There is, and a, I wore it for my whole shift.
1: There is a picture of you that exists in uh, rescue crew outfits, and it's you and a crew of, of other people who are also in rescue crew, like masks and helmets and stuff. It's a
0: uh, if you think of firefighter mm-hmm. like stuff except yeah. it was for underground mine rescue so yeah. it was that wholesome. And there's
1: a picture of you like holding up your strap looking excited and it looks exactly like if if the Scooby gang had to go <laughs> underground uh, to save somebody and Scrappy-Doo came with them. You look like Scrappy-Doo in that picture. You have the energy of him and the size <laughs> compared to the other people.
0: Thanks. <laughs> let, me,
1: let me at him. Let me at the mine shaft collapse. <laughs>
0: It's followed by, my lamp!
1: My <laughs> oh, yeah, lamp is dropped. gone! My lamp is gone! Yeah, you, you dropped your lamp.
0: <laughs> because I my hit lamp. my head on the grate.
1: <laughs> uh, and I suppose, yeah, we're going back out into the rain. This is a bit of a shorter episode this week, but that's totally fine.
0: Uh, if you want to read The Butterfly House... Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of know the main you, you details, know, you so know you the don't twist. have
1: to. Yeah, there's a lot of characters and interactions we didn't cover because the book is a lot harder to scene by scene do, especially if you weren't planning to do that from the get go. Um, from the get go. From the get go. So yeah, uh, it's it was honestly when I t- I don't put this in the category with Devils Line and Dance with Devils in that no. this is this has a decent amount of like redeeming things and like it's not a bad book in the sentence sense that sentence to sentence it holds together really well you read a lot of bad books where they can't even like form sentences this one just has some elements that I would say don't don't really make it j- jive with me uh I may, I might not like police procedural books because I'm I, you gave me another one to read and I'm also just like
0: That one I knew was bad, though. I feel
1: like I'm hitting my head against a stone wall (laughs) when I'm reading it. (laughs) So
0: chapter four Mm. in this book, actually,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the end of chapter... I love reading the end sentence of books. This one doesn't have the best one. Mm -hmm. But the end of chapter four explains what Catherine... Or Katrina. Mm -hmm. Katrine? Katrine? Oh, my God. Her
1: name is Katrine Engberg. I've been calling her Catherine. I I know. I just did
0: that, too. Katrine Eng- Engberg. Yeah. The end of this chapter explains exactly how you're supposed to feel mm. while you read this book. Oh. It felt amazing. It felt dangerous.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So that that was the butterfly house. We'll uh, when when we finish more books together, we'll do that. We're reading John dies at the end together right now.
0: Yeah, and we'll probably start three other books on top of that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So whenever in like seven months, when we finish one of those,
0: yeah, uh, we'll do another, <laughs> uh, Mitmo Page Turner Productions episode. <laughs> but for now,
1: thank you for listening. Uh, if you want more from us, this is kind of all we all you get right now, except for occasionally we stream. My girlfriend's not gonna like this. We haven't for the last month. It's but...
0: supposed to be every second Friday.
1: Yes. Starting
0: uh, next Friday.
1: <laughs> yes, starting next Friday. Uh, so if you're listening to this episode, if it came out this week, then we're doing it that Friday.
0: Oh yeah, I guess it's coming out.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, theoretically, in 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 two weeks, that's when we're doing it. No, in a week.
0: In a week, it's next Friday.
1: Okay, so if if it came out this week, then you are not. Then it's the it's two weeks from this one. Yes. That was. This is pointlessly. No one's going to show up for the podcast, anyways. This is unnecessary. Anyway,
0: did you say what it's called?
1: Uh, I apologize profusely. Is where I stream every Tuesday, regardless of if we're doing it on Fridays or not. And uh, we have an email. You stream
0: separately Tuesday.
1: I stream separately, and I try to find the weirdest games that I can. Right now, we're playing Pentiment, which is very fun. Uh, You can email us at. Cry, K-R-Y, dot mit with two Ts, dot mode at com, And we have a YouTube channel called Cry Mit Mode with nothing on it.
0: You don't have to email us just to give us ideas. You can email us to say hi. You yeah. can email us to... Ask questions. Our email is open. We have a lot of time.
1: Yeah, and we're on basically most podcasting services now. We're on iTunes and Google Podcasts. So uh, feel free to leave us reviews. Apparently those are good.
0: Reviews, likes, shares. Love it.
1: Hate yeah. it. Don't like it. Uh, next it. week, just uh, <laughs> we might be doing a compare-contrast thing. Is that what we're doing next week?
0: Possibly.
1: Unless we don't want to.
0: Unless we don't want to do a media. Maybe we'll do research. Ooh, Maybe. Who knows? And maybe we won't.
1: Podcast is ever-changing.
0: Thank you for
1: listening. And have a good whatever time of day it is for you. Bye!